All right, let's get in. Um, back in the 1940s, there was a story of a few men who would gather together on a, on a regular basis. One guy was named John, and one guy was named Clive. And these guys, John was a devout follower of Jesus, and Clive was an atheist. And they would meet for hours on end. They would drink beer, and they would sit together, and they would talk about hopes, dreams, myths, heartaches that they had for this world. Clive had a, a deep love for mythology. Mythology is a study of myths, and he loved the dynamic of myths and what that did to the, the human heart. And so they would sit and they would chat for hours, years and years they would do so. And John would share with Clive that his love for mythology, stories of dying and rising gods, had something true within them. And as years went by, Clive began to believe John. And he began to believe that the fulfillment of all myths were found in this one named Jesus. And Clive, who is C.S. Lewis, concluded by saying this, The heart of Christianity is a myth which is also a fact. The old myth of the dying God without ceasing to be a myth comes down from the heaven of legend and imagination to the earth of history. It was this group of John, J.R. Tolkien, and, and Clive, C.S. Lewis, that used imagination and storytelling, books like the Chronicles of Narnia and the Lord of the Rings, to awaken the following generation to a dream that is found within the gospel, the story that we're a part of. See, when Jesus of Nazareth, appeared in the first century. He died, yes, and he rose again. And he became the fulfillment of all the good things of myths. Jesus was a myth that came true. And I want to talk about that some with you this morning. This Easter Sunday sermon, I want to title, Nothing Could Keep Him in the Grave. And I'd love to hop in together. It began on Good Friday. Good Friday is, is an interesting day. It's interesting to call it good. In hindsight, it is for sure good. But in the moment... It was the farthest thing from good. It was filled with sorrow, filled with grief. As our family read stories of the events, my oldest son and I watched The Passion of the Christ together, and it's so sorrowful, confusing. It's, the dynamics are, are so wild when you think about Jesus' betrayal and his arrest and his misaccusation and his, the fact that he was beaten and, and, and whipped and ultimately crucified, the Savior of the world carrying the sin and shame of the world to provide hope for the world. And, and when he died, Pilate commanded a Roman guard to make sure that his body was dead. We read that in Matthew 27. I'd love to jump in there. Matthew 27, verses 54 through 56, it says this. When the centurion, which was a Roman soldier, and those who were with him keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place. They were filled with awe and said, Truly, this was the Son of God. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So this Roman soldier was there make sure without question there was no doubt that this body which was crucified was indeed 
dead. And this whole scene we see is, is quite shocking, culminating in the one here confessing Jesus as the Son of God. And so immediately after the death of Jesus, three things took place that were pretty significant in the story that I want to read with you this morning as we consider uh, what leads to the resurrection. There were three precautions that Rome used to make sure that his body stayed in the grave. You might have read these before. The three would be this. First, there was a stone placed over the tomb. We, we kind of go down when we put bodies in the grave, but for them, they oftentimes went into a rock. and they, So there was a stone placed over that rock. So there was a large stone. It was a precaution. The second was a Roman seal, not an animal, a wax seal, just for clarity. And then the third, a Roman guard was placed over guard in this area. I want to consider these three things with you. The first, this large stone, Matthew 27, following just the verses we read, it says this in verse 57. When it, was, when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb which he had cut in the rock, and he rolled a great stone in the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the mother of Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb. So this stone not only sealed the tomb, but it also prevented thieves and animals from entering into this tomb. So we meet this guy Joseph. He had, he had a lot of money. And he had decided early on in his life that he was going to use this money to make sure he had a place for his family to go once they died. And so no bodies were placed into this tomb up to this point. But he had, he had purchased this land to make sure that he had a place for his family. We have these two photos here. The first is a picture of a stone. This is a, what would be a common tomb in this time. We see a large stone, just to get a picture of what this could have looked like that would have been placed over this hole that would be the tomb. Likely several hundred pounds this stone was. If you go to the next photo, this is called the garden tomb. Some would say that this is the tomb that Jesus was laid in. We have no certainty of it. All we know is that there is no body within, which gives us a clue that it could have been where Jesus was. But nonetheless, this is where some would say uh, his body was laid. So this large tomb was likely, like I said, several hundred pounds, and it was placed over this tomb. And they're designed to, to be shaped so they could be rolled. And so it would be loud. It would be noisy for this thing to be rolled over this hole. And we read in the text that Mary Magdalene looked on from a distance. And as I watch, whether you've watched The Chosen before or you've watched The Passion of the Christ, there's something human about Entering in beyond just what the words say here and actually imagining what it was like to be Mary Magdalene. Freed from demons. This woman who is now a follower of Jesus. Watching the one who became her hero dead. Like sorrowful, beyond sorrow. Watching along, hopeless, having no opportunity to redeem the moment. All she could do was watch as they laid this lifeless body into this tomb and slowly pushed the stone over it. See, this story is filled with human emotion. What is she feeling this evening before Sabbath, 
hopelessly watching her friend, her hope, her, her future life carried lifeless in a wrap. She could do nothing about it. And she probably stayed there until the Roman sh- soldier arrived. Then we hear about Peter, this figure who was so prominent in the story of the Gospels. He likely numbed himself, as some of us do when pain hits us. Already in agony after denying Jesus, he doesn't know how to feel the depth of his pain, and so he goes back to what he used to do before he followed Jesus, and he started fishing again. Didn't know what else to do. So he finds himself there. He couldn't handle what just happened. But the sorrow in this story is is so real, and it's real to us. The scriptures are so understanding of our and empathetic towards our own pain. See, some of us have had diagnosis over the last year that have crushed us, confused us, and defeated us. No control, no ability to change, potentially life-altering. And you can imagine the sound of this stone being rolled over this tomb. It was like every ounce of hope snuffed out, done forever. Probably so painful it was hard to breathe watching this thing go over Jesus' tomb. The darkness felt out of control and in a way, from a human perspective, it was. So the first precaution was the stone. The second precaution is a Roman seal. We read it in Matthew 27, 66. It says, So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone. See, the seal was a sign of authentication. That the tomb was occupied and the power and authority of Rome stood behind this seal. And so if you come and you trespass and you mess with this seal, your life is on the line. Because Rome has now sealed it with its authentication, proving that you must not trespass this area. In 1921, in Arlington Cemetery, a tomb was marked called the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Some of you have potentially even visited it before. And the tomb was a place with an armed guard. And would, this armed guard would stand at this tomb to make sure it was protected. It was a sacred space for bodies who died in war and were never identified. To be remembered at this place. It's a solemn place, but it's extremely protected with an armed guard that if you trespass, your death, your life could be on the line. It's a sacred place for Americans who remember those who were lost in battle. And the punishment at this tomb for trespassing was severe. And similarly to this day with this seal, there was armed guards. And if you trespassed, your life would be on the line. So the seal was placed, meaning punishment could be death if you interfered. So the seal provided authentication of Rome and verification that the tomb was not tampered with. So the seal indicated the authority of Rome. There's nothing stronger, nothing more powerful in that day than Rome and its government, and it provided a seal of that. And if you trespass and disgrace Rome, you would die. So we have a large stone. We have a wax seal placed over that stone. And lastly, we have armed guards there. In Matthew 27, 65 through 66, it reads, Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go make it as secure as you can. 
So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. The text isn't clear if it's a temple police or a Roman guard. Some of you don't even care, and that's fine. But nonetheless, I would venture to say it was a, a Roman guard or a set of guards. Multiple times we see that word plural, a set of guards. I read one commentator who said this, The context seems to favor the Roman guard. The Roman guard was a 16-man unit that was governed by very strict rules. Each member was responsible for six square feet of space. The guard members could not sit down or lean against anything while they were on duty. If a guard member fell asleep, he was beaten and burned with his own clothes. But he was not the only one executed. The entire 16-man guard and unit was executed if only one of the members fell asleep while on duty. So these are the kinds of guards that were there, not mall police. And if you're a mall policeman or formerly was, bless you. But these guys were legit. And again, not like you weren't legit. You get my point, maybe. I'm sorry if I'm offending you. But this guard was responsible to care for, responsible to make sure that body stayed in the tomb at all costs. So Pilate advised, because of the potential of an outbreak of a riot, to make sure that this area was protected. So these guards were elite. These guards were respected. The Roman army was the largest fighting force in the ancient world. All soldiers were fighting fit, ready for battle, well-trained fighting machines. These guys could march for 20 miles and had 45 pounds of weight of armor on them. That was a part of their training. And they served for 20 years. PBS uh, said this about the Roman army. It says, the Roman army was one of the most successful in the history of the world, and its soldiers were rightly feared for their training, discipline, and stamina. As a result, the army was a major player in Roman politics, and maintaining its loyalty was an essential task for the emperor. So this, these soldiers were dispatched to this area to make sure that civil order was taking place during this time. So Roman soldiers were, you know, the, a key ingredient in, in the story of Jesus. We see them throughout the story. We see them standing before the body of Jesus at the crucifixion. We see them uh, beating Jesus before he died, and then we see him at the tomb here. So there was this pride. You can imagine this arrogance, being a part of the greatest empire in human history. And one of the fighting men there, you can imagine there is a arrogance. You can imagine there's this strength, this alpha kind of mentality that these Roman soldiers had. You tr you were, you've been trained for years to fear no one but Caesar. And there is none you bow your knee to but Caesar. So when Jesus, the king of the Jews, shows up, you see that he was dealt with. Another casualty. Another attempt to dethrone Pilate. Another desire to overthrow and flex only to be put to death. And so a stone was secure. The wax seal was placed. Roman guards were on duty. The king of the Jews was indeed dead. Nothing, it seemed, could take this body out of this grave. So Friday we end with grief and sorrow. And then we enter Saturday filled with silence. And it reminds us that God's okay at times with the silence. We experience that 
The disciples experienced that, and we can experience that. God is comfortable at times with the Saturdays of our life. Silence, confusion, oftentimes it produces resilience within us. There's something about the Saturdays of our life where God feels distant and silent and maybe even feels dead that actually awakens a resilience within our hearts that nothing else can. It happened to them, and it can happen to us. It doesn't mean that God is silent. It doesn't mean that God is away. It doesn't mean that God is dead. It simply means that God is at work within the silence. So stay in it. He isn't done with you if you might be there. And then that early Sunday morning, I mean, my, 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 nothing could keep him in the grave. And we know the story here in Matthew 28, it reads, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. And the birds began to chirp before that sun began to rise. And the Roman guard was finishing his shift from the previous night. And on that crisp, cool morning, under the foot of the pride of Rome, the ground began to shake. Awe and terror, terror and awe came over the pride of the Roman guards. Like dead men, the text said, built their entire life on the power of Rome. And in an instant, the curtain was pulled back up but for a second, and they experienced true reality. That there is one God. There is one ruler. There is one king. He is not here. He is risen. The earth, it quaked. The wax seal broke. The stone rolled away. And terror filled the Roman guards. In the 19th century, an English painter, author, uh, Arthur Hughes, uh, drew this. It's quite beautiful. Any good art I give you is from Wesley Terpstra. He helps me. Thanks, buddy. Um, But in this, we see so much happening as these women come first to the tomb. We see... um, them looking in, we see what looks like a bird in the top left, and then we see these, one of the many Roman guards laying there, terrified, like dead men. See, what did they do? The story tells us they eventually ran back to the high priest. They didn't want to go to Pilate, because if they went to Pilate, they were dead. So they went to the high priest to try to change the narrative and say that somehow he had been stolen There was so much surveillance, there was no way that was the case. But despite all the efforts to contain the Son of God, the Son of God and His victory over death, sin, evil, darkness could not be thwarted. He is not dead. He is risen. Friends, nothing could keep Him in the grave. No ruler, no king, 
No kingdom could keep him from staying in the grave. The story becomes our oxygen in a life filled with sorrow. In a life filled with sorrow and disappointment and unmet expectations, this story is a lifeline for us. That God isn't done. He has the final word and it is not yet finished. It in, in this life you have trouble. And this story uh, means that God isn't ignoring the sorrow of this life. This is a story of hope tied to history. This is a myth that has come true with a time stamp of a day and time. See, there is no power that can keep you from this hope. There is no sin that can keep you from this hope. There is nothing you have once done that can keep you from this hope. There is nothing that can keep you from what God has planned for you. So as we navigate through this life, we remember on this glorious day that God has entered into our story as the main character to promise a day that he would bring forth the fullness of justice, that he would slay the dragon, that he would silence sin, that he would swallow death, and he would reign forever and ever. This is our hope. This is what we got. In this world, you will have trouble, but God has come. In this world, you will have confusion, but God has come. Death is real, but it does not have the final word. And man, in this moment, we remember that God swallowed death, and he will come again, and he will make all things new. And this is what we put our trust in. This is what we anchor our lives upon, In it is good news. Amen? Man, this is good news for us, my friends. I don't know where you are. Maybe you came here and you feel like, I need to put the mask on. I need to show up. I don't want to show up. I know you're all over the place and reality of life here. But this story, it, it engages the core of who each of us are and meets every one of us in a place and provides hope that nothing else can. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I'd love to pray for us. Yeah, as that song sang, this is our hope, hallelujah. Death swallowed up. Lord, we give you thanks. Lord, I pray you'd blow the dust off of this story in our lives and allow it to be seen afresh. We thank you for your rescue. And Lord, in this time, I pray that you'd minister to our hearts. I pray you'd give us hope. We thank you that you have the final word. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name.